The following podcast contains adult language and themes. Listener discretion is advised. Get ready to open your heart and your mind because we're going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. Hey folks, I'm Matt. I'm Joe. I am Lija. And I'm Lindsay and this is the Going There Podcast. You may have heard me pipe in in other episodes. I am the producer and also Matt's wife. My wife. Thanks for letting me sit at the table today, guys. I'm usually in the back corner. So, yeah, you got put up at the uh, big kids table. And uh, there's a reason that we asked her to be on this episode, because today we're going to talk about fertility, infertility, babies over 35 and everything in between. We have some really good guests who are going to call into the show. So this is like a um, smorgasbord of women who want to share their stories. The biggest reason that Lindsay is on this episode is because she has a story to help tell. Recently, we had a miscarriage. Right. Yes. And what was that experience like for you? Gosh, it was so weird because when you're basically spending your whole life trying to prevent getting pregnant, you know, because you're not ready to have kids. And then to like... Wait, your whole life? Well, not your whole what life. What age but, you were know. you sexually active at? 10? <laughs> when you want it to happen and then it just doesn't. And then you get told that there are issues that are preventing you from getting pregnant. And then you go down this whole journey of infertility and then it finally happens you finally get that pregnant test and then it just ends up not working out it's tough and it's just not what you expect right it's not what you have what you've planned what you've hoped for so one of the things i learned going through that is there's so many people who go through miscarriages and it's really common and coming to terms with it it was actually right around thanksgiving so not only were we in covid times and you know, quarantining as as best we could. And there was a holiday. And I just remember sitting, like knowing that this was happening, watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with everyone with masks on, like sitting in the morning by myself with my dogs, just like bursting into tears. And I was like, I don't know why I'm crying right now. I have so many feelings. But it it's just like, I think the thing that kept going through my mind was this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You know, and we had tried and put money and time and so much effort into this. And granted, people have done so much more than we have, but I don't think it made it any less difficult to swallow that pill that that was actually happening. So the big thing is that a lot of people are super invested in you having kids, especially people in your family, your parents. And it's always, when are you guys going to have kids? But not a lot of people are invested in the process with you. That's why the pandemic was kind of like a double whammy, because you feel isolated in the process. You feel very alone. You know, Lindsay, you had told me a few times, you're like, are you in this thing with me? Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like this is my thing. Yeah. And I thought I had been super supportive and I thought I was doing everything right. And it turns out I wasn't. I just wasn't being aware enough because- She not only had the physical thing going on, it was much more emotional for her. Not all men, but I think men in general. We don't have that sense of awareness. We don't have our antennas up probably as much as we should be. But you can be supportive without necessarily being fully aware, right? 
Yeah, it wasn't that I wasn't supportive. Well, yeah, which I know, I know, of course you were. Yeah. But it, overall, in well, of general, course I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, naturally, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but overall, it's like um, there's nothing wrong with saying, listen, I, I see what you're going through, but I genuinely don't have any idea how to be there as a support. One because I don't have any experience on it, any knowledge, or things like that. But eh. I mean, isn't that all issues with what happened around the time of George Floyd? I didn't know what to say. I reached out and I'm like, yeah. I don't know what to say, man. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but it was the willingness to be there. Right. The willingness. That's where it's at. That's that's what's most important. Making yourself available to become more aware. Yeah. So yeah, that I, that adds up. So I had a random phone conversation with David Keckner, the comedian actor who you know he was Todd Packer on The Office. He was Champ Kind on Anchorman. Like everybody knows who this guy is. Dudes in freaking everything. And this was really random because the phone call wasn't about anything to do with this. But at one point, he was telling me how, you know, he's about to put a kid through college and how you don't think about that until it's time. And then he was like, hey, uh, do you have kids? I go, well, no. And instead of just being like, no, of course, I I overshare. So I'm like, well, you know, I mean, we're trying and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, OK, let me step back. I'm not like trying to grill you because when people come up and ask you, when are you guys going to have kids? He's like, how is this your business? Are you going to help pay for the bills? You know, the whole thing about everyone pressuring you when you can have kids, when you guys going to get married. He's like, how is this any of your goddamn business? And that conversation, partly because it's who it was, but also like. I was like, man, no one's ever said that. When are you going to have kids, by the way? Where's your medicine cabinet? (laughs) I need to rifle through it. Yeah, Yeah, everybody's so invested in you having kids. But again, where are they in the process? I'm not saying parents. I'm not saying people close in your life. But I find that a lot of people push you into what they believe that your life should look like. When are you guys going to get married? Well, what if we don't want to get married? What if we're okay just kind of being in a, a relationship? When are you guys going to buy a house? What if we don't want to buy a house? When are you guys going to get estranged and uh, sleep in separate beds? Yeah. <laughs> when are you guys going to get that divorce? Where were the people asking me that when I needed to hear it? <laughs> the last time, the last time, not this time. So many people have been asking about kids for so long. It just kind of turned me off to the whole idea. Just despite these people, I'm just not going to have kids. Like it always irked me. But when it really started bothering me was when we had been trying for going on a year and, you know, just just ourselves. And you're like, it's not happening. Like, I, I wonder if something's wrong. So you have all of that self-talk going on and you don't really know. It's just like our culture and, and this baby bearing culture that we have. Like if you are a woman who is like approaching any like childbearing age, it's like that is what they focus on. Like society does. We I get bombarded with the ads on social media like you see it on TV. Like it's just it's everywhere. And Alternatively, I know people who are like, we don't want kids. Imagine that and then being asked that all the time, too. Like, that's not right either. There's this uh, producer that I know just like working in the industry, and she's great. And I think that she's wonderful. And we were working on a gig together. And on the car ride, she was like, when are you going to have kids? You should have kids. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really think about kids. She's like, no, I just really think that you should have kids. I hadn't seen her for like 18 months. And now she's like, really wanted me to have kids. <laughs> like, but do you even know my situation? I didn't know you felt so strongly about. Was yeah, she I'm like, trying I'm... to pawn off her kids on you? That's what I'm thinking. That's what it like. Do you back. want kids? Maybe a blonde and a brunette. Yeah, yeah she's uh, like, you would be yeah, a great hi. mom for um, these kids, kids that are abandoned. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Joe. So I mean, and I know your family situation's a little bit different. 
have you felt that pressure from people? Do you have people who are like, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? Not in like the um, immediate family way. And I guess any kind of extended family, I've made sure to be like not as uh, accessible to. But I I did have a (laughs) and also, you know, like traditional Lebanese family, like obviously they're like, why aren't you having kids? And why is this woman holding your hand? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And why do they sound like more? So, yeah. (laughs) Very nice. Yeah, I, I guess it's just like strangers and acquaintances who are really pressuring me to have the children. I Why suppose. are they so invested in it? It's the it's, culture. It's yeah. like what what you do. And it's yeah. easy to talk shit on somebody else on a situation that you don't have to have control over. You, and, and I um. also think it's like being a woman, being on a certain timeline, that's what your womanly duty is, right? Like that's your God-given right. Even, even as someone who doesn't necessarily think she might marry a man – who doesn't necessarily want kids, do you think there's still a subconscious kind of uh, uh, programming that's, Absolutely, that's inside you where it's like, well, this is my value to the world? Well, yeah. I mean, I think just also the idea of like growing old and alone without <laughs> someone yeah, <laughs> make sure they, no, that's they're in, yeah, okay in that nursing home. That's a worry. But it's also so much money and so much work to put a kid. And you, it never stops. If you're going to be a good parent, it's a lifelong commitment. I mean, I guess if you're going to be legal about it, a good parent, you can do, if a bad parent, you can do 18 and (laughs) bye. (laughs) Or five. Or five. Yeah. See what happens. And then try to like get a coworker to get the. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I told my kids after high school, I never want to see them again. Ever. (laughs) Which is not true. I, I see you being more of a helicopter dad down the road. <laughs> You're, when are you guys having kids? <laughs> right. And I think that that can also get people in trouble because some people aren't meant to be parents. The issue is that people are all about talking about babies and having babies, but hardly anybody wants to talk about the process and especially the issues you're having. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I just wanted to push my agenda on you. I didn't want your baggage. I had a friend who they started a little bit earlier than us and she had a miscarriage. Ours was pretty early on. So it wasn't as devastating emotionally, I think, or physically. I don't know. I'm speaking for you. But wouldn't you say it would have been way worse if it was weeks later? It could It could have been. It, yeah, it absolutely could have been. We know people have picked out names and had baby showers sure. and everything. Yes, it was it was not to that it was not to that point, no. So, a friend of mine, she just couldn't bring herself to talk about it. In fact, she wasn't even comfortable enough at this point almost a year later to come on the podcast and really talk about it because it's still affecting her emotionally. So, what she did was she wrote about it on Facebook and not to be dramatic. And she said that she was blown away and I got to read some of the responses. There were dozens of comments and responses like, oh my gosh, I had no idea, but we went through this too and there was no one to talk to about it. Because one, I think you feel like you don't want to be a burden on other people. And secondly, you don't want to have a meaningless conversation where the person hears you, but has nothing to say in response, right? You want to feel loved and supported by somebody who understands it. Someone to just hear oftentimes is the support is just just the the listening, just the hearing someone out. Yeah. Like I always talk about the talking cure. How I, it's one of my favorite principles. Just talking it out and having that person to just have a, a word vomit 
let it go. Um, that's helpful as well. It has to be helpful. What's up? What's going on? Or they ask, they maybe say that that kid thing, like what what's going on with, you know, it, I just bring it up. And it's from, I, it's a vulnerable thing to do, but you bring it up and you say, yeah, you know what, we're, we're going through infertility stuff. And, or, hey, you know what, we, sorry, I've been uh, MIA for a little while. We just had a miscarriage or, hey, I need to talk about this. And the, the things that have come up from just sharing I have had so many people say we struggled with that, like what you were saying on the Facebook post. People feel then, I think, safe to share, you know, this little community of folks that have gone through the same thing. So this same friend, I told her, I said, yeah, we're going through it right now and people are being silent. And she said, give people a little bit of credit because they probably care. They just have no idea what to say. And she said she touched base with some of her friends and she was like, I was hurt and I was a little pissed. And I was like, I haven't heard from you in months. And they're like, we're so sorry. We had no idea what to say. And we didn't want to reach out and bug you. And it's like, it's just uncomfortable. It's, you got to get your hands dirty. And I, I think we what we need to do is just make it more acceptable, less taboo, to when you know somebody's going through something, don't assume anything other than they need love and support from me. And so just, I, I should ask them. And if they tell me I just need left alone, then do that. But I think you got to ask first. It's an awkwardness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When we were first starting or when people thought like we were trying, whether or not we were, man, do people have some shitty things that they would say <laughs> that didn't bother me because I would just roll my eyes. But Lindsay would tell me later on, it's not that she was sitting there like, holding a grudge, but she's like, that was offensive. I was like, oh, really? I just took it as this person's an idiot. I think people, again, I don't think they're being malicious about it because I think what people assume is that unless they're aware, you will have no problem getting pregnant. You're either just not prioritizing it or, you know, maybe it's just taking a little bit longer. But there's a lack of awareness and a little lack of sympathy. Uh, the way that some people approach it, yes, there's some crude jokes. So we were at a cookout, I think, and there was a couple and they're like, why aren't you guys getting pregnant? And we're like, well, we just started. And, and they're like, oh, my God, it's so easy for us. Like, are you doing it wrong? Again, I think it was more like we're just having drinks and joking. But the guy was like, Matt, if you want to tag me in, like, I'll show you how it's done kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm good. You know, I what? wasn't. He was joking. Oh, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> People also joke. need to be schooled on just jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? There is no offending me, realistically, unless you mean it. The, the girl was like telling Lindsay, there's something you obviously are doing wrong or you don't know. I, I didn't know about it until way after the fact that Lindsay was just like so, I don't know, hurt and annoyed and so many emotions. Had it just been that one event might not have got me as much. It is just the constant influx of those comments and people saying things. And it's like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yes. Was it like over the top? Probably. But well, what are some of the other things that I can say there were people asking us every time we saw them, every time we talked to them. And I literally went to them and said, if we have news, we will share. If not, please stop asking me. You know, like we will share if we have news. If not, this I know you're not coming from a bad place, but stop. And it did stop. I mean, you do have to advocate for yourself if it's bothering you. But it would just be those one offs that would come through. And like you said, are you doing it right? Is it this right position? Is it this right method? Is it this or that? Here's a study you should read about. Again, I don't think it's malicious. It's just, it's a lot. It's a, you have, you have so much pressure on yourself as it is. Like you're already beating yourself up and you're already in your head about it and it's already becoming an issue. And then you have the external pieces that just like 
compound that. This is also so easy to talk upon someone's experiences and everything, minus having them and not even trying to take the time to know what they're truly going through and well, act like the expert. You okay? So you have two kids. Neither of them were a hundred percent like planned. Right. Right. At all. I'm not calling them accidents. No, no, no. I am. Go okay. Ahead. Happy, <laughs> happy. Yeah. Biggest mistakes. No, wait, wait, no, I always call my my kids uh, uh, first experiment and and, and second realization. But <laughs> 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 go ahead. But the point is, you and I never really talk deeply about the, you know, fertility issues or any of that stuff. Mm. If I would have told you, you probably still would have thought, oh man, there's probably something wrong with this guy because I wasn't even trying. I- that's a good question. And 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 the fact that I'm even thinking about it right now, that thought never came to mind first. That's something that you're doing something wrong. And so therefore, is that just me? And chances are it is. You know, it's just me and my approach and my that type of human being that I am. And, oh man, you're fucking it up, man. Yeah, you know. You, you, you. You're like you lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saving so much money. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, so I, I never saw it that way. I never thought about it that way. It's just it, it hurt me to be honest that it that it wasn't going to go down because I wanted so bad for for you two. You know what I mean? I, I wanted. Well, I know you were more invested in it for <laughs> than I was for a couple of days. Oh man, you you're talk- already picking out names. I think. Yeah, man, you, you kidding me? Black Uncle John. Let's yeah. go, Uncle John. Black Uncle John. <laughs> yeah, I don't think my kid would call you Black Uncle John. I think just Uncle John. But if you had a brother named John, I don't. So you're saying just don't put black in front of it. <laughs> yeah, can we? How about just like he'll know when he sees you. <laughs> Chocolate Uncle John. How about just the okay. Godfather? <laughs> Chocolate Godfather. <laughs> I appreciated that a lot. I don't think everybody has that same amount of empathy. Like when I was a kid, I would take a math test, one of those time math tests, and I'd knock it out faster than anyone. And then I had friends who like not only took a long time, but would do really poorly on the test. And I remember thinking, what's wrong with you? Just be smarter. You know, you're talking skills versus abilities here. And not everybody has the ability to make babies. If it's not your grandparents or parents, why are you so invested in someone else's infertility? Unless it's about support. Do you want to know my theory on this? Is it about the math test stuff? No. <laughs> we can go back in that. I mean, if I'm you want. like bragging no, rights, right? I don't like, like math. I, so many I was in the top one percent of uh, <laughs> wow. in, the, in the state of Ohio. What's one times one? <laughs> I, I have no idea. I forgot mm, everything. We'll I, fact check it later. I, yeah, I drank a lot in college, so I forget math. <laughs> I'm like, well, there goes math. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, everyone's experiences are different and you just need to be open and willing to have those awkward conversations in any of these things, not just fertility, but to have those awkward conversations to show love and support for people. And Lindsay, you have one of our friends uh, we're about to have a conversation with who went through the IVF process. She struggled, and this was a few years ago, and even she had to deal with the stigma and some of the people on the outside not being as supportive and things like that. Renee was one of those warriors at the beginning of when my group of friends started getting pregnant. And I remember, you know, probably Renee, like really high level, not knowing a ton about what was going on with your situation. But then I remember you had posted a picture on Instagram about normalizing infertility and in vitro. And it was like Renee posted like this little four box picture of her like getting her shots and like being excited and just like trying to normalize and make it a happy thing. Like people post their ultrasound pictures or whatever. But it was like of her getting shots and stuff. And it's just like that was so brave. And that was Gosh, how many years ago was that, Renee? It feels like it's been a lifetime ago. It's been about uh, six years. Yeah. So what was that journey like for you? 
So for me, I think it was the same thing. You feel very alone and um, it's just one of those things that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And like, even for me, I think it's been really hard. Like I limit what I share only because like, it's also my son's story to tell and he's not old enough to tell or to know what's going on. So I feel like it's not mine to go like blast everywhere. Um, But at the same time, I want to provide support to people because I feel like I didn't have that when I was going through it. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a weird balance of, how much do I want to share, you know, just the first visit to the fertility doctor. And then, um, you know, thousands of dollars later and years later, that's, you know, how we got to having kids. You have two healthy, beautiful kids and, you know, there's a happy ending to your tale, which is great, but you still had to jump through some hoops. Some people are lucky, genetically lucky. It just works like LeJohn. And then there's, you know, the rest of us who are broken, very broken. (laughs) What was it like looking at your options, looking through like IUI and IVF and how did that really play with your decision-making process and and your journey overall? Five, six years ago, it, it was very, very rare for anything to be covered by insurance. So we went in, into it knowing that everything that we got, we would have to pay for. Um, everything down to each visit was very expensive. And so then we kind of said, do we just go straight to the IVF where you have a great chance of having kids or do you start off with the IUI? So for us, we did like a, a round of IUI. It was unsuccessful. So we went straight into the IVF after that. Um, much more expensive, but it was a lot better chance of us having kids. And that was something that you were willing to go through and you had researched it and you said, this is something that is going to give us the desired outcome that we want. And we're willing to invest in that. You know, I started at what is like a relatively young age to do it all. I was 30 when I started it all. So at least for us, even if we did something, it felt like, okay, we still have a little bit of time. Like if something doesn't work, we can try something else down the road. Was there anybody that you could talk to during this process who had any kind of understanding? Because I'm sure you had friends and family who would listen. Did you have anybody who got it? So I personally didn't have anybody like within my close circle that really understood like what I was going through. And even as a partner, like they don't always fully understand even. So yeah, it's a very lonely process. And I would say, especially for the the woman, you know? Like women are finally starting to destigmatize talking about Everything other than, look, I had a baby, you know, because there's so many other things in the process, talking about it, supporting each other. I've seen people have started support groups. You know, it's sad that there wasn't this kind of openness about it when you had to go through it. But if it wasn't for people like you who braved it and kind of paved that way, uh, we probably wouldn't be here. So, uh, you know, from all of us who are kind of going through it, thank you so much for being the uh, Lewis and Clark of that. Thank you. I don't feel like that, but I appreciate the uh, the recognition there. <laughs> well, I feel the same way, especially from a personal standpoint of having a having someone who's gone through it to be able to go, oh, this was weird. What what does this mean? And being able to call you and you just check in on, hey, think this is the part of when you're supposed to be doing this. How are you doing? And you know, giving a lot of information and support. Yeah, and I, I think I'm so happy to hear that because I think it goes back to me feeling like, you know, I didn't have anybody and I just always want to support other women that are going through this. And I've had other friends that have kind of had similar stuff. And I always try to be that person that can help them and, and maybe take a little bit of the burden off. And so they don't have to feel so alone like I did, you know. But that, that's so awesome, Renee, because you understand the value of support and the value of being there for someone. And that, that means a lot. And that's 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 so great of you. So I appreciate that. Thank you. 
the more that I share, I feel the more that I get back from others, people sharing yeah. that they went through it and that they have had the same struggles or that they know people like that. So it, it gives space for it. And I think space and talking about it gives healing. So that that's the first step for, I think, all of us. Agreed. And I think it also just lets you know, helps you better understand your options. And I think that was what I always wanted for you, Lindsay, because I felt like sometimes I was flying blind through different things. And I feel like hopefully like by me sharing my experiences with you, it helps you weigh your options better. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for being on the show. Yeah, of course. Like You guys are doing some awesome stuff. So thank you for having me. So in vitro can be really expensive, but so can launching your first album too. Olivia Ellen Lloyd, today's musical highlight, raised close to $10,000 to fund her debut album, Loose Cannon. And by the time this podcast airs, hopefully you can go online and purchase it. Her father had passed away and he was a hometown music legend in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. So she learned to play music at the feet of her dad, which is really cool. Uh, She went to University of Michigan where she studied theater and directing and English literature. And then she just got more and more involved with the music scene. And this girl is mad talented. So enjoy the sounds of Olivia Ellen Lloyd. And up next, we have a social media celebrity, Dr. Shannon Clark out of Texas, calling in. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. You have a lot of followers and you do some really cool stuff, putting information out there in an entertaining format. It's kind of like edutainment on the issues in your field. Yeah, you might want to coin that term. I don't think I've heard that yet. You might want to claim it claim it while you can. So yeah, I'm Dr. Shannon Clark. I am a double board certified OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist. That means all of my patients are pregnant and high risk for either fetal and or maternal reasons. I am in an academic center uh, where I teach. I'm an educator, clinician, and researcher. I started doing this social media type stuff, education on the side, when I started my infertility journey about six years ago. Babies after 35 and everything I do on social media was born out of. And it's just kind of slowly progressed over the over time. And here we are. <laughs> what are the kinds of things that if they see your Instagram or your TikTok, like what are they seeing and hearing and reading? Yeah. So my main source is Babies After 35. I started with the website and Instagram and Facebook. And that's basically where I wanted to educate about pregnancy, fertility and parenthood after age 35, because that's where I was. I was actually after age 40 when I first started trying to have a family and conceive. And I just wanted to educate people on um, potential complications and risks associated with delaying childbearing and starting a family later in life. My largest demographic is now women aged 25 to 34. And I think they're there for the educational purposes. One of the things that I was just curious about from your perspective is why is it such a taboo topic? Why is infertility just like this scary, silent thing that people don't talk about when it impacts so many people? I do think it's better. When I started in 2014, even in the short time that I've been doing this, I I do think it's a lot better as far as what's out there and people that are sharing. And that's largely due to social media 
media and the ease of access we have and different platforms that can be used, the support groups and things like that. And also the fact that more and more women are using assisted reproductive technology. But I think even, you know, for someone like myself who was transparent, it wasn't easy. I did it mainly because I wanted to educate and let people know that in a similar situation to me, the potential pitfalls could be, especially with delaying childbearing until later in life. But I think that even as transparent as some of us are about our struggles, we still hold a lot of guilt and shame, whether we even realize it. Because you don't want to think that uh, your your body isn't working the way it's nature says it's supposed to. And it's very mentally draining, emotionally draining. And that's that's hard to experience. There's a, a stigma around having infertility. There's also some stigma around people who use assisted reproductive technology. I think that no matter what, there's going to be a stigma from somewhere, somebody, someplace, sometime. But I definitely think the good outweighs the bad when it comes to sharing and what's available on social media. So I think it's getting better. We still have work to do. And I, I do applaud anyone who is sharing their journey. But I also say every chance someone's asked me this is that it's not necessary or a must that you have to share your journey. You have to do what's best for you. We got married in our 30s. And, you know, I was approaching that 35, which I don't know, like, where that came from. I'm like, was I born with the number 35 in my head? That like, that was like the magic. You turn into a pumpkin if you don't have a baby by 35. Like, it's just so bizarre. <laughs> Lindsay, what's going on? Your skin is orange. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was like, okay, I'm approaching that. You know, we're, we're getting there. We've got to like start trying. And so of course I ran to my OB and I was like, it's not working. And she's like, hey, let's wait for this like year long period. Just like relax. Well, we didn't know that like we both had issues. Like I had undiagnosed PCOS for my whole life. Like I just learned at age 34 that I had PCOS like what? And I was just really encouraged by as much as I talked about it and was like vulnerable with people, people started sharing a lot more with me. Like people that I wouldn't even think about were like, oh yeah, I did that too. And it's like this, this bonding thing that, you know, you don't want to like run around with like infertility patients stamped on your forehead. But I just think that it's so important for us to at least like give people that opportunity to know that they're not alone and that they can, you know, talk about it. Um, the, the other thing that I was curious about from like that, that 35 number, right? Like there's this pressure and, and, I think I've read and, and seen some of the uh, posts on social from you about, oh, you're you're pursuing your career and you're getting in your upper 30s. Like, why are you even trying this? Like, there's all that pressure, this baby bearing culture, this motherhood. You know, what what was your experience with that going through? Like, obviously, like this incredible, like educational and medical career, getting all of these things. And you're like, but I still want to do that, too. That should be OK and shouldn't be questioned. No one ever questioned why I wanted to have a family starting at age 40. I didn't meet my husband until I was 38. We didn't marry until I was 39. You know, that's just how it worked out for me. Why did it? Why did I wait so long? Well, I had a career that was very demanding. The training was very demanding. And there was no one along the way that I dated that I saw that could be a future life partner. Most of the criticism will come from the unknown people on social media. Okay. And there's a lot of that. Um, but, you know, as far as those close to me, um, they were very supportive and I'm very grateful for that. There were some times where friends would say, oh, you'll be fine. You know, just be patient. Oh, my mom had babies at 40. You'll be fine. And, and in the meantime, I was on my third cycle of IVF and I'm like, you know, it's not fine. The, the mental, physical, emotional stress of it while having a full time job. It was a very rough few years. How common is some form of infertility in not just women. I mean, this is a man issue, too. 
It is common. I mean, I think what we're doing now that we have better technology and better access and resources through assisted reproductive technology, we are picking up more issues than we were, say, 20, 30 years ago. It's very hard to tell someone who's 32, you have up to a year to get pregnant. A year seems like a lifetime for some people. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, this is 2021 now. People want things when they want them. And being patient is not always easy. But the statistics show that for most people, they will fall pregnant within that period of time. And I get it. I mean, it's it's not easy to wait that long. It's not easy for someone to tell you, oh, you have up to a year. Don't worry. When you go every month without any success, you worry after three months, after one month sometimes. It's easy if it's not you that has to wait a year to get pregnant. But for those of us that did, you start to panic a little bit. It has to be so frustrating for the women because as I'm as I'm looking at the research and everything, it's like, okay. Where, where are the issues? Where do they lay as far as what might be the problem? And with the women, it's like, okay, the ovarian reserve, as I was reading, ovulating, the structure as far as ultrasound, tubular. And then it comes out to the men, sperm. Yeah. <laughs> In general, women are supposed to be superheroes. Society views us that way. We view ourselves that way. We're supposed to be able to multitask and do everything and accomplish everything. So when we're not able to become pregnant, that's a very hard pill to swallow. And it's very hard to have someone tell you you have it to a year. It's very hard for someone to tell you you need IVF or, you know, you need to get your general medical health under control better. You need to lose weight because a lot of the pressure is put on us because there are so many more factors involved than with our, our male counterparts. Now, that's a privilege to be able to get in vitro, right? Like that's just not an option for anyone who's infertile. Right. And, and I hear that a lot, too. And, you know, more and more women are using it, but there's a lot of women who don't have access to it either due to financial constraints. And even if insurance does cover a part, it's not going to cover all of it for the most part. So, you know, there are still some people who don't have access to assisted reproductive technology. And so they're seeing everybody that's using it and having success. And for whatever reason, it's not available to them. Do you think that that's something that will be expanded and and more accessible to people? Unless insurance providers are going to be willing to cover that, uh, I don't know. You go through those cycles and and you're paying out of pocket and, and then they don't work. We just had a miscarriage right around Thanksgiving uh, because it, it didn't work, right? You know, maybe you, you were pregnant or whatever, and it just it doesn't work out. And that just has it, it's discouraging. I think generally when couples or individuals decide to pursue the assisted reproductive technology route, they feel that it's going to work and they put so much hope into it. But they have to understand that it doesn't work for everybody. IVF did not work for me. I had to go through five cycles trying to get my own eggs. It did not work. I ended up having to use donor egg. You know, I have acknowledged that I was very fortunate that I could afford it. It was very expensive. You know, I've gotten a lot of criticism. Well, you know, you can afford it. And, you know, why did you waste that much money? Or, you know, you could have done X, Y, and Z instead. And I get I, the criticism, but I also worked very hard for it's it. It's my money. It. <laughs> right, right, right. I worked for every penny I've gotten, and I'm very fortunate that I have a career that has provided, and my husband as well. So She's a doctor just to pay off all those bills. For- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the student loans. I do understand when people who see that uh, on the outside and don't have those resources or those financial resources, it, it is hard for them to see that, and I get it. So have you seen the the divide as far as the access is concerned to have those kind of services and everything, as far as people of color and things like that, just not having the resources for it? Yeah, of course. Just think if you're a woman of color, you're on social media, because most of us are, and you've been trying for 10 years, and you don't have access. We already know there's health disparities for anything with people of color. Infertility access and treatment access, that, that's no exception. That's still not a, as available 
to that population of people as it is to everybody else. On that note, <laughs> you said like people are trying for 10 years. Now, I'm about to get real personal here. Neither one of my children were planned. It was like, what do you mean you're pregnant? Mm -hmm. Too fertile, too fertile. Yeah, yeah, too fertile. (laughs) All we do is have sex and you're pregnant? So it seems like I never had a problem. You know what I mean? I haven't knocked up a whole bunch of people. I'm not going there. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different different podcast. A whole different show. But from this black guy's perspective, it seems like in the black community, that's not an issue. We can we, we can create humans whenever we want. Do, does it seem that way from a professional standpoint, like the, the disparities or the differences within the races and everything? You mean like fertility differences? Exactly, exactly. No, we, we do know that for uh, black women, uh, they wait longer to seek treatment for infertility because mm. of lack of access to care or mm. distrust in the medical system to begin with. Boom. Uh, so because they wait longer for whatever reason, whether it's not available to them or they – have not trusted anybody to be evaluated for whatever reason, by the time they are evaluated, whatever it is that's causing their infertility is much more advanced. Okay. We also know that black women who go through IVF do not have the same, same success rates as their white counterparts. Oh, they have a lower, they have a lower, they do have a lower success rate. Yes. With IVF. So there is something to be said for that. Okay. And you know, and I'll also say, and I've talked to many black women, there is a much uh, more intense stigma regarding infertility in the black community than there is with other communities. And there's also cultural differences. What well, you know that I've talked to many women from different cultures and, you know, they can't tell their families that they're using IVF. They can't tell them they're using donor egg. They can't tell them they're using donor sperm. So there are a lot of limitations based on those factors when it comes to infertility. But I know what you're saying that it seems like, and I think that's also a common uh, stereotype mm-hmm. of black men is that they're, you know, easily reproducing and that's what they do. I don't think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, that's kind of racist, LeJohn. <laughs> I mean, but in general, we we know the stereotypes that exist. Um, so I think it's a stereotype of black men, but I also think that black women, and we know this, there have been studies on that. They don't have the same success rates. It's from years and years of uh, not having the same access to care as other populations. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I'm still going to go around thinking I have super sperm. So are you basically maybe sometimes the bearer of bad news when it comes to, yeah, you can go these routes, but by the way, it's going to cost you out of pocket. So well, well, let's clear something up. I am not a fertility specialist. I am a, a maternal fetal medicine specialist. That means my patients are already pregnant and have high risk pregnancy. Gotcha. My knowledge of the fertility aspect, you know, and infertility is based on my own personal experiences. And plus I'm an OBGYN and I did get trained on that, but I'm not a fertility specialist. I'm not counseling women in my medical profession on that. My patients are already pregnant, but this is my social media presence because I have, you know, shared a lot about what I went through. I do have a lot of women who are experiencing infertility and I you know, educate them on what I can, but I also do a lot of discussions with other fertility specialists that can help educate them as well. For most of what I see when, when I'm going in for the infertility stuff, it's mostly women. Now we are in a COVID time, right? Where you're not allowed to have people come in the office, but you know, it's it's trying to keep the male counterpart, if if that's the situation, like aware of what's going on and like educating them as well, because it's like, we, we just kind of go and that's that's what we do. It's definitely a generational thing because it it was, listen, I work and I pay the bills. (laughs) You just worry about raising those babies, making the babies. This This is is the one thing that you do. Yeah. So you better do it right. Yeah. You probably see more men now 
getting more involved in the process, I would imagine? They're very hands-on in general. Um, but there's always, you know, a support person for a woman in pregnancy coming to, pre- you know, prenatal visits. And, you know, that's different for every for every couple. Sometimes the, the, the partner's working and they can't make it. But, you know, when it comes to the delivery and the the key things like that ultrasounds that, you know, I find that men are uh, and partners are very supportive. And your journey with getting pregnant, what were some of the things that you had to debunk for people? You know, even though with all my all my education, I was still surprised at how hard it was going to be for me or how hard it ended up being. So if I was kind of taken aback and how does the average person who's not in medicine feel when they're approaching that age? So I wanted to talk about, number one, the potential problems of delaying childbearing. Uh, number two, the potential problems of getting pregnant later in life. Number three, uh, that IVF doesn't work for everyone. And, you, you know, I hear all the time, well, if I can't get pregnant on my own, um, I'll just use IVF. Well, IVF doesn't work for everybody. And we have to be realistic. But I also wanted to let women know that more and more women are delaying childbearing. And it's okay to have babies in your 30s, late 30s, early 40s, mid 40s. Women are doing it. Did you have to shut down any kind of like friends or family or people online saying stupid stuff to you? Oh, yeah. People and friends and family know. But no, there's the people say stuff, stupid stuff to me all the time. But this <laughs> is one of the prices you pay for being on social media. Yeah, you know, that's true. The, people are not nice. And some people just, you know, and it is what it is. You, you have to have a thick skin, especially when you are um, becoming more recognized and you have a, a larger presence. You know, you get targeted and that's fine. Um, but that's what Block is for. So, <laughs> like right now, what is your audience size? I'm over 100,000 on TikTok. I think 60 something thousand on Facebook, and then what am I? 40 something thousand on Instagram. But you know, I, I just also want you know that you, that you brought that up. I I think for physicians, um, I can only speak for myself, but I also a lot of uh, my colleagues that are on social media. If, the first thing is that we're not doing it for the followers. We're doing it to educate because a lot of us have full time jobs. And we're doing it on our spare time and or we're doing it after the kids go to bed or I'm doing it on my lunch break or I go to work early to do this. And the reason why most of us do this, I, I believe, is because there's a lot of misinformation, false information out there. And we want to be a source of accurate information and, and a source where people can go to get the truth. I think there was a stigma about physicians or there still is about it being unprofessional. You know, being on social media is unprofessional. Um, You are a professor of maternal fetal medicine. Why would you do social media? Well, I can reach a hell of a lot more people on social media through education than I ever will uh, on my day to day job. Most of us physicians put a lot of time and effort into what we post and you will still get people saying, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a terrible doctor. You shouldn't be on. You should have your license revoked. Yeah, I'm going to report you to your HR. I mean, looking forward to our Monday appointment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it is what it is. We, we fight the fight because we want to put accurate, be a source of accurate information. Well, and, and that's why those numbers to me are more impressive than somebody who wants to be a quote unquote like uh, social media influencer because you actually have people who are interested and engaged with what it is you do specifically. It's not like a celebrity thing or, oh, she posted herself wearing a really nice pink dress today. Isn't that neat? Like you have people who are actually like, this is important stuff. You know, there's nothing wrong with some fluff, but when you're actually trying to educate yourself, because the people who are trying to tell you, you don't know what you're talking about, are people who heard something from somebody whose drunk uncle told them something, or it's like, I went on WebMD and I read this, so I'm a doctor now. Yeah, well, I mean, there is some of that for sure. 
you know, I had posted a video a few months back that was meant to be a little funny, but it was like uh, along the lines of I have all of these accolades and all this training years of experience, but my patients still go to this social media mom group for their advice on their high risk pregnancy. <laughs> and I, and I put that because I wanted to see what people would say. And I got a lot of information, a lot of very sobering information. You know, they, people were pretty much saying, you know, doctors don't spend enough time with us. They don't listen. They don't have compassion. I get more support in my social media mom group. There has to be some truth to that. So I do think that the medical professionals are partly responsible for patients going to social media to get their answers because we may not be doing as good of a job as we think we are. So I do think it's two things need to happen. Number one, physicians, medical professionals need to do a better job building that physician-patient relationship and providing information when the patients need it. But I also think patients need to do their due diligence and make sure wherever they're getting their medical information from that they vet those people they need to check the credentials of those people. I agree with that 100%. And it's not, you know, exclusive just to like the fertility kind of stuff. It's yeah, it's, yeah. it's any kind mm-hmm. of medical thing. The second part of it is super important because it really takes all of us to be a little bit self-aware and realize like, yes, I feel more supported in my mom's group because when I tell them I'm having a hard time, they keep going, keep trying. You know, and sometimes the doctor is the sobering, you know, the doctor saying, I'm sorry, you can't have children. And and it's the idea that some people have is like, well, I will I'll talk the problem away or I'll put it out of mind. And maybe it's mind over matter kind of thing. But doctors are put in that unfortunate position where it's like, look, I would love to tell you whatever you dream is possible, but that's just not the case. And so we have to be able to tell ourselves people are trying to pray away COVID. I mean, that's just not the case that we have to live in the same reality uh, that the doctors live in. You know, that's what I try to educate as well as on how to advocate for themselves and to get what they need from physicians, but also to try to let people know what it's like to be a doctor and some of the constraints we have. We're doing a lot uh, in, in a day's work, but we can still do a better job of making that physician patient relationship a little bit better. For people who aren't trying to have a kid, but know people who are trying to have kids and it's not working or, or have infertility issues. What are some things just on a personal level that you would recommend that other people like me who don't really have this issue should be saying or not saying? If they have been sharing, you know that they're going through uh, fertility issues or having trouble conceiving and you have that type of relationship to the, with them, you can just let them know, you know, how are you checking with them? How are you doing? Uh, is there, you know, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to, if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. If you do, I'm here too. One of the best things one of my friends said to me once was, I have no idea what you're going through. I know you're going through a lot, but whatever it is you need, just tell me and we'll make it happen. If you want to sit and talk about it, I I can listen. If you want to go do something to get your mind off of it, I can do that too. And, you know, that was very um, um, special to me when she said that, because a lot of times I didn't know what I needed. I didn't. Sometimes I I thought I wanted to talk about it and really didn't. And there was times where I didn't want to talk about it and my friend would take me out and I would just spill my guts. But whatever it was, she was down for it. You know, it's not an easy to be a support person for someone going through infertility. You don't always know the right things to say. But what you don't want to say is, you know, like y'all said earlier, you're doing it wrong or, (laughs) you know, uh, Mo, you'll be fine. My mom got pregnant at 40. 
getting advice from someone who A, has never had fertility issues or B, has never had, you know, has, has not wanted to start a fi- family. That's not the person to get advice from. Yeah. If yeah. You, can get, you can get support from them. They can be supportive. The same people who are like, when are you going to have kids? When are you guys having kids? They're crickets when they find out you're going through infertility issues. As hurtful as it can be for some of those people to be silent while things are happening, taking a step back, like we as people going through it need to cut them some slack too. And if you need something, speak up and ask because I just had like a light bulb one day. I'm like, no one's going to ask me about it if I don't say anything or if they don't know that some, that I need something. Yeah, because they think if you're not saying anything, they think you don't want to talk about it. There's always a two-way street. For those of us that are going through infertility and have, we have to be willing to let people know what we need. We can't expect people to just read our minds. Do, do you have a, a favorite story of hopefully, maybe, that uh, where one of your followers and everything, you, you really know that you made the difference and they reached out to you in regards to what the things that you post and whatnot? Uh, I mean, I get stuff every day. Success stories or, you know, I've been following you for years and you really helped. And uh, I've also had a lot of heartbreaking stories. You know, I, I'm i the first person sometimes they've never met me, but they tell me they miscarried or, you know, some of the negative things that happen. And I'm very fortunate that people feel that way that I've never even met. Um, but I think it's because I, I am pretty transparent and I'm not afraid to do that. So I, I think that's why they kind of identify with me. And, you know, I don't I don't take that lightly. I, I do respect and I hold that very uh, close to my heart that people are willing to do that with me. Has the magic of pregnancy worn off on you or when, no. you, when you see a woman and or a couple seeing an ultrasound kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Is it still magical for you? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm in a teaching institution, so I'm usually the supervisor and the residence fellows are doing all the cool stuff. But t- trust me, I will push a resident out of the way to get that delivery if they'll let me. I, you know, I love it. I think it's amazing. And, um, you know, I'm also there for the not so good experiences. We uh, the other day I delivered a baby that was just over a pound. I am glad that I can be there for couples and individuals in those times, just as much as if they're delivering a full-term, happy, healthy kid. My job means I I am there for all ranges of the good and the bad and the, and the scary. The way that you approach some of these like scary and weird, and I feel personally like I, like I know you better than my doctors that I go to now. Like you are, you are effectively, in my opinion, doing that through your social media presence. And I think that it means a lot, obviously, you know, to the followers that you've heard from, but also from those that you haven't. Like it's just so appreciated. And if you're having post-birth trauma, like it's okay. Like we're not going to be shamey. And then also like, hey, here's this really awesome, funny video about how we all forget if we unplugged our straighteners or not. Like that, <laughs> that was one that I just like, I've watched so many times because we all know that. Yes. And it's so <laughs> relatable. And it's just like, you're a person too. I think we see doctors sometimes with like, is it the God complex? You know, like they're just- As long as what you're looking for is not just pure affirmation. As long as what you're looking for isn't a doctor to tell you something that is not scientifically based. I have to add that in there just because like you said, there is so much misinformation out there right mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. somebody who goes, I don't believe I have diabetes. I want to find a doctor who tells me I don't when I- you know, obviously my foot's about to get cut off because I'm so diabetic. So doctor shopping, maybe what you're describing, there are patients who will go until they find a doctor that tells them what they want to hear. That's different than finding a doctor to me than finding a doctor that fits you. Correct. Just because you go until you find, doesn't mean you're doctor shopping. It just means you, you know, especially if you're going through infertility, you got to find a doctor that you've, you're going through a very, very vulnerable time. You want to find a doctor that you feel comfortable with. 
I don't consider that doctor shopping. I know what doctor shopping is, and I've had patients who've done that. That's di- that's different. You mean that guy who's an OBG out of his van uh, behind KFC? <laughs> He's not legit. <laughs> doctor shopping can be, uh, you know, just because a patient just wants to find the doc that will tell them what they want to hear versus the one where they're just trying to find the right fit that they yeah. feel comfortable with. You know, I think that's two different things. Personality is really important mm-hmm. because it's not yeah. it's not like going to a mechanic. You know, he's not nice to my car. It's your body. Your body's being worked on. That's also part of advocating for yourself, too. For people out there who are looking to have a baby, is there one piece of advice above all else when it comes to kind of the journey and the emotional aspect of it that you would give to people? For those that are at the very beginning of it, you know, I think be patient uh, unless you're already starting with some known difficulties. If you already know you're not having regular periods. If you already know there's a male factor involved with a potential for infertility, if you already have pre-existing medical conditions like diabetes, high blood pressure, get that under control before you start to try to conceive. The time to play catch up with your general medical health is not once you get pregnant. It's before you even start the journey. For those that are going through infertility, my biggest piece of advice is to see a therapist. I can't say that enough. When I look back at all the things I went through, the one thing I wish I had done was had therapy throughout of it. Because I think even four years later, I am having some difficulties with the infertility that I went through, the complicated pregnancy, having babies that were in the NICU that has just started to really reveal itself over the past year. And I think had I been going through therapy from the get go, that would have helped a lot. So I do recommend to anybody that's going through infertility that they do see a perinatal psychiatrist or a therapist just to help get through that. I, I wish they would have told me that when I signed up for this. That's, that's great advice. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much, uh, Shannon, for your time. Do you want to plug like your social and the Babies After 35 uh, page? Yeah, so I have a Babies After 35 website. Uh, I'm also Babies After 35 on Instagram and Facebook. And then I am on TikTok. I am the TikTok Baby Doc. I love that. TikTok Baby Doc. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Shannon. Really appreciate you. And, and, and most importantly, thank you for confirming that I am a super sperm individual. <laughs> it means a lot to me. He, yeah. He's the guy who just wants affirmation. That's, that's, that's yeah, right. affirmation yeah. You can right, find right. him at TikTok at Dr. Shopper. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for enlightening us and uh, giving me some advice on what to say and not to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Take care. Keep kicking ass and doing what you do. Thanks, guys. When we think about finding the right doctor for you and and doing that doctor shopping and making sure that you're getting the support that you need from your doctor, um, my friend Sarah has a story about starting to doctor shop around and her experience with uh, the infertility process from the beginning. So once we learned, you know, through sort of initial testing that we had to go for further testing to kind of see what our issue or issues were, we were referred to this particular office where we met the physician for the first day, uh, both, you know, myself and Chris, and it was just kind of a meet and greet kind of thing. The physician, you know, that we met with, he was, you know, he was nice, but just kind of direct to the point. He let us ask questions and so forth. But then from there, we still had to go like through more testing, you know, blood work, ultrasounds, even before getting kind of all our final results. And I had made it clear kind of right in the beginning that depending on how the results came back, that I was not interested in IVF. 
you know, we were kind of open to the idea of, you know, like an artificial insemination, but not the full IVF course. Sure. Was there a specific reason, Sarah, that you weren't? I personally just don't want to have to inject myself with hormones and with all of the other medications that are needed for that. It's a lot. It's a lot to have to go through. It is. It is. And it's just, I was not willing to put my body through the IVF course. That's your personal preference, right? Right. So when you tell the doctors, I'm not interested, were they like, okay, that makes sense? You know, he kind of, I don't want to say he brushed it off, but he just more or less was, you know, well, let's wait and see what your test results come back as, and then we'll go from there. So, you know, we had all the testing done. And of course, you know, now we're in the thick of COVID. You know, all of this happened last year. So we had to have a virtual visit with him. He called us to go over our results and pretty much explained to us that we only had a 3% chance of getting pregnant on our own. It would increase to a 6% chance if we did artificial insemination. And of course, you know, it then went up to a 98% chance of getting pregnant if we did IVF. That sounds completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I just kind of sat there. Like I said, we're on this virtual. Wait, you did know. he offer to inseminate you himself? <laughs> yeah, that might be a scam. <laughs> did you find him on Craigslist? <laughs> yeah. No, no, we did not. One, one might think we did, but we did not. 98% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> did, did he high five himself after he gave you that news? <laughs> probably, probably after he disconnected from the call, he did. Just go ahead, let me bone your wife, and I'll take care yeah. of everything. Yeah, no that, that just sounds like horseshit because I don't right. think IVF for anyone is ever that high. Even with artificial insemination, you know, it's one of those. I would still have to take some sort of medication. I would still have to go in for several ultrasounds in a month. And there's a super high risk of miscarriage and eptopics and things like that for those Correct. types of procedures too. And I'm sorry, just right. for the people who don't sure. know. What's the difference between artificial insemination and in vitro? So artificial insemination is pretty much certain pills and they get me to a certain point, you know, where I would be at my most fertile and then they would take, you know, my husband's sperm and then they would actually just, I guess, insert it. Okay. And the kind of just let nature take its course. The turkey baster effect. Yeah. Yes. I didn't want to say that, but yes. <laughs> we were all thinking it. We were all thinking Right. It. Whereas, you know, with IVF, they actually extract an egg and pretty much, you know, like a baby is made in a Petri dish kind of thing. And then they would re-implant the egg. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. Sure. So it sounds like the doctor starts trying to, like, like he's getting kickbacks from the IVF people. Well, like, right. sell the shit out of this thing. Well, and, and it was one of those, he goes, and with artificial insemination, he's like, it doesn't always work, you know, the first month. He goes, so, of course, if you do artificial insemination for two months, you know, well, then your chances are 6%. Because if you think, okay, so it's 3% chance a month. So if you do it twice, now you're up to 6%. I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> it, it, like, it, it compounds. The way that it was explained to me, and I don't know if it was the same to you, to Sarah, that if you do it three times, it increases your chances. By the third time, that's the highest probability you will have of success, and it actually goes down after that if you do IVF. This sounds like pyramid marketing scheme. Yeah. <laughs> if you can get six people it's inseminated underneath you, you'll make double the profit. <laughs> yeah, the first meeting was just them talking about how many kids they do have. <laughs> None of the science. Have you heard of Regeneron? How would you like to inject it right into your food? <laughs> Regeneron. Um, well, it gets worse. Oh, no. You know, because he rattled off the, you know, the artificial insemination numbers, the IVF numbers. 
And he pretty much was like, you know, so when can we get you signed up to start IVF? And I said, well, I said, I told you before I'm not interested in IVF. And he again, he's like, ma'am, please be quiet. I'm talking to your husband. (laughs) Right? These are all classic sales techniques. Exactly. So, I mean, that car drives great. You look great. Should we start up the paperwork? paperwork You guys can drive this egg (laughs) off the lot today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think he thought as soon as we heard 98%, you know, we would be like, sign this up. Right. And I said, you know, not only am I not into taking all the hormones, I said, I am also not not interested in taking on the cost. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, well, we'll run your insurance. We'll do that. We'll do the other. We'll let you know what the prices come up as. And I was like, listen, I'm not doing IVF. I'm not doing it. I was like, my husband is on board. I'm not doing it. What if I could throw in heated leather seats? (laughs) (laughs) So I want to say maybe three weeks later, I get this big packet in the mail And I open the packet up and it is an entire folder full of information on how you can finance your IVF costs. One of the options is like selling grapefruit snacks on the subway. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness. But it's traumatic enough to have to go and like get that news and process it and then have to like think about, okay, what does this mean for us? And then to have the office push that on you to say like, even though you told me in no uncertain terms, we don't want to do this. We're still going to just give you this in the mail like three weeks later. Like that's traumatic. Are you getting three month follow up calls? Hey, Sarah, I don't remember if you talked to me. remember talking to me last time, but this is Dr. John. I just want to see what do you think? I mean, it's it's bullshit, though, because it's like they're playing and and praying, if anything, on the fact that, yes, you guys really do want to have kids and we'll dangle this bullshit 98 percent number in front of you. That's that's really jacked up. Especially because having kids is not a necessity. It's not a health necessity. If somebody right. wants to have kids, that is a choice. And the last thing we should be doing in, in our society right now is pushing it on people who don't want to do it or who aren't sure about it. Right. It's more like, you know, the question should be, what can I do to help walk you through this information or help you make a decision? What kind of time do you need? Not, if you guys don't do this, I don't get my commission. And now we got to get the fuck And then respect that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I opened up that envelope and I took that out and I showed it to Chris and I was like, what the hell is this? I just, and I was like, you know what? I said, I'm done. I was like, even if we had changed our minds... I'm going to a different office. I'm finding a right. different practitioner. Like I, I just was like, what? And what they're doing is they're preying on people's emotions. Like these people are in search for some help. And these people are just like, well, how do we capitalize on that? Right. And the really sad thing is if somebody else makes a family planning decision that impacts the rest of their life based on their experience here. Somebody like this scares you from having kids or forces you into having kids when mm-hmm. you really shouldn't be. Right. That's what's messed up. Think about it. John, you got you got two kids. Can you imagine if a doctor had been part of the process where he's like, look, I'm going to come over. I'm going to inseminate your wife, whether you like it or not. Can I at least pick the music? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, seriously, that's exactly what it is, though. The, the forcefulness of it and this the salesmanship. I'm sure, you know, that there have been women that have gone in there and are like, I'll, I will do whatever it takes, you know? And I don't know if I just threw this particular doctor a curveball or what, but I just was kind of like, you know, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Do you think you're going to go back and find another doctor at some point? Or, or was that your turning point where you're like, you know what, maybe that was a sign? I mean, at this point in time, we've not sought out 
you know, another doctor and we're just kind of at this point, it is what it is, you know, and to be honest with you, like adoption is not really too far off of our radar. And that's a great thing. Lindsay and I are in a parallel story. It's like, if I can mm -hmm. bring a kid into the world with my genes where I know it's part of me, there's it's that a biological, yeah, it's that biological need kind of thing. But at the same time, if it's like, if, if really what it is, is about raising children and having that legacy and having and having somebody whose life that you can have a positive impact on, man, there's so many kids out there who are in need of that. Well, and that's where I'm at. I mean, with the way the world is today, I mean, there's just, there are so many kids that are here that didn't ask to be here, you know, need that love and attention. And mm -hmm. if, you know, we're just not meant to have our own, then, you know, why not love one that's already here? Well, listen, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you guys. Sure, thank we you. are always here for you if you want to talk about it. I'm sure you and Lindsay have offline and commiserated. So thank you, Sarah, so much. Yeah, thank you. Right, thank you. guys. I guess kind of final thoughts on this are, you know, the, the stigma of of these things just needs to go away. There is no one path that works for everyone. First of all, not everyone should have kids financially, emotionally, mentally, whatever. But the point is, it's like, one, don't push your plan and your path onto other people. I just don't think that's right. I think it's good to ask questions. And if you're asking questions, hey, are you, have you guys talked about having kids? Save that for the people you're really close with. You know, not the guy in the subway or the mailman. And secondly, for guys, the best thing to do is ask questions. The odds are the women are going through everything you're going through, but like tenfold. Our bodies don't experience the same things. And emotionally, we're just not at least generationally in tune with that. So just be aware and be supportive. And, and honestly, I think you'll get an A for credit for trying. Being patient, being patient with your support, because even though you may not understand, you may not know exactly where to support and how, have that patience to know that, okay, if I just scale back and listen, it will aid the situation in the long run. Has to, naturally. Yeah, just listen and try to be supportive. And I understand it's awkward if you don't know what to say, especially if like, childbearing's your thing. But, you know, it's important to normalize these things because this stuff happens all the time. Some of the the things that have come out of me just sharing just high level, these beautiful moments with people have far outweighed any sort of negative or or weird comments that that came from anything. It it opens up a door for others who maybe haven't had the chance to talk about it. And this is, you know, people who it happened over 20 years ago to them, right? So be open if you're comfortable with that and share. You'll be really surprised what you get from that. And it also can potentially help your healing. And for those who are wanting to offer support or don't know what to say or feeling awkward, even just asking a question, how are you? Or is there anything you need? Give them the space to respond with how they're doing or what they might need. Or if they need space, give it to them. So that's that's my biggest takeaway. I know it wasn't always rosy. Sometimes love can feel like hate. But I take each slide a thousand times for a second away from all this pain. And, and thanks again for our music this episode from Olivia Ellen Lloyd. And you can visit her at OliviaLloydMusic.com. You can find her on Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Going There podcast. Let us know what you think of the episode by leaving us a review, sharing with a friend, giving us a rating and a subscription. Right. Yeah. So we just went there and we had no problem doing it. But now it's up to you to go to the going for the links to our socials and all the places that you can hear the podcast. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsey Baker, Tyler Kubisti, Michael Madgar, Joe Cali, and Bobby Thomas.